Well, happy Easter, everyone. Uh, my name is Noel. I'm one of the pastors here. One of my uh, pastimes is I love to try to test the allegiances of Spartans when they're out of their territory. And what I mean by that is sometimes I'll be on an airplane or walking down the street in San Diego and I'll see someone wearing Spartan gear. You know, you see the Spartan head kind of coming towards you on a hoodie or it's on somebody's hat. And I try to make eye contact. And if I'm, if I'm unable, I still do this. But I get just close enough so that they don't have any time to react. And I just simply say, go green. See, you know. See, if you know, you know, and that's the thing. People don't always respond well when you're out of context. You're in San Diego walking down the street. Somebody yells, go green at you. Sometimes people look at me like, and then they just walk away. And, I'm, and then some people are like, oh, yeah, mm, Michigan State. And you're like, <laughs> Not really that loyal, right? It's because like, if you know, you know, right? Um, and, and Easter feels a little bit like that to me. I will stand out on the sidewalk usually if the day is nice like today was, and I'll say happy Easter to hundreds of people. And every once in a while, someone throws it at me. They just walk up and instead of saying happy Easter, they say he has risen. See, if you know, you know. But the thing is, for a long time, I didn't know. So for years, even as a pastor, see, that's one of those things um, that was part of a lot of Orthodox traditions, Catholic traditions, moved to Lutheran church and a lot of Western churches, but it wasn't something that I heard often enough or that I recalled. I remember that we, a lot of people would say that in the church I was at growing up, I just hadn't heard it so often so that I'd be like, oh yeah, happy Easter, you know, because I didn't know quite how to respond. But it, obviously, if you know, you know. And of course, no one knows for sure how it is that that little call and response started to hit on Easter, but it is likely that the origin started in the passage of Scripture that we're looking at today, sort of. And I'll get to that in a second. See, today we're not only celebrating Easter as a church, we are also wrapping up our study through the Gospel of Mark. And so if this is your first week here, um, let me explain what that means. Uh, the Bible isn't just one book. It is a compilation of 66 books, many of which are our letters. And four of these books are called Gospels. And what Gospel means is good news. And the four Gospels detail the life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. This is the really important core stuff. Like you don't have Christianity if you don't have this stuff here. And what we've been studying as a church family is the Gospel of Mark, the, the, the good news written by a guy named Mark. Now the thing about Mark is his style is chaotic, it's blunt, he's unpolished, he jumps from story to story, and his, his version of the Easter story is just as abrupt as the rest of his writings. It is only eight verses long. The eight verses that you just heard Joshua read, that's all Mark puts in there for us. Now, I know some of you who have your Bibles with you have flipped open, you're like, well, wait a minute, Noel. Um, my Mark 16 doesn't stop at verse eight. There, it goes all the way down to verse, verse 20. And I know it does, and I'm going to explain why those verses are so important and why they may be way less important than you think they are, but I'm going to get to that in, in a little bit. For now, we're just going to dive into the eight verses that Mark gave us and see what he considered important enough to tell us about the Easter story, starting in Mark 16, verse 1. It says, when the Sabbath was over, 
Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they went to the tomb at sunrise and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb for us? Now, now all four of the gospel accounts give us the same really important Easter detail, and it's this. The first people that saw Jesus resurrected from the dead were some of his female followers. Some of them report, uh, all of them mention Mary Magdalene, but some of the different gospels mention different women. And sometimes people like to point at stuff like that and say, oh, that's a contradiction. No, it's not. Have you ever been to a party and someone says, who was at that party? And they mention a few people and you ask somebody else who was at that party, who was there? They mention a couple other people, right? It's just different perspectives. They all mention some of the women who happened to be there, right? And what's fascinating about this account is that in the first century, women were not considered reliable witnesses. In fact, women were not even allowed to testify in court. So there was this early philosopher by the name of Celsus who came right after the time of Christ, and he, he was one of those guys that wanted to write books about why Christianity is false. And I want to read what, from one of his books a core argument that he had as to why you cannot believe the gospel uh, is as written in the scripture. This is what he said. He said, one of the reasons we know that Christianity can't be true is because the accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that didn't set real well, did it? <laughs> now, here's the thing. That's huge evidence of the truthfulness of this account, isn't it? If you were in the first century and you were making up the resurrection and you wanted to believe them, would you have made your star witness not just one woman, but a whole bunch of women? They, they thought, wrongheadedly, right, that women would not be reliable, but their wrongheadedness helps us see that this is factual truth. You only write that down if it's actually true. Now, what's so cool is that it wasn't just that women were there that was listed, but they were listed by name. Why is that important? Well, because in the first century, when this was written, some of those women would still have been alive. The, the guy who wrote this, Mark, didn't expect that we would be reading it 2,000 years later. That wasn't even on his radar screen. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit knew, but he didn't know. So he just writes down their names. Why? So people could check with them. That's why they wrote their names down. So it's like, if you want to know if this is true, go ask them because they are still alive. So these women, early in the morning, get up on Sunday, and it's an important detail. Why are they going to the tomb? They're going to the tomb because they expect that their Lord Jesus was dead. They were bringing with them spices. They were bringing with them aromatic oils because their intention was to anoint his body first because it was an honoring thing to do. And the second thing is it covered the smell of a dead body. That was their whole purpose. They expected Jesus to be dead, even though he had mentioned at least three times that we have record of that he was going to raise from the dead. Did anyone actually believe him? Of course not. Because around the time of Christ, there were all kinds of so-called messiahs, and they'd say great things, and they'd gain a following, and then they would die, and then they would, wait for it, stay dead, <laughs> right? They would just stay dead after they died. And so the women, despite having heard all this from Jesus, they loved Jesus, they saw him brutally executed on the cross. They saw him be put into a tomb with a big stone rolled in front of it. Of course he was dead. So they're just tooling down the road to go to anoint his body. And then they realize, wait a minute, we're gonna have to move this big rock, right? 
And so it even says that they're walking along going, okay, when we get there, we're going to have to figure out the rock situation, right? And so they're having that conversation, but it turns out to be a non-issue. Verse 4, looking up, they noticed that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And so they rush into the tomb, and it says, when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side. By the way, love that little detail. When you're writing something down, it's factual. You just throw in this little detail. Oh, it was on the right side. What does that mean? Is that symbolic? Nope. He was just sitting on the right side, right? (laughs) Sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Now, the question is, who's this dude? Well, context clues in the other gospels tell us that this is an angel, And there's a couple context clues first. First of all, he's wearing white. And the second of all, they're alarmed. Why is that? And we like to talk about that around here, but here's the deal. When the Bible talks about angels, they're not like those stupid little chubby cherub angels that you see on Christmas that have tiny little wings that would never get an angel off the ground, right? <laughs> like, like, they're not like your, the, the little figurines, the precious moment angels, right? They're nothing like that. The, the, the angels in scripture are like the Navy SEALs of the universe that have such a presence to them that every time they show up, people have to be told, stop freaking out. People almost pee their pants every time they see an angel. This guy, yeah, it was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> and this guy is not only, he's not standing there flexing. He's not flying. He's sitting on the right side and that's enough to freak them out. They're alarmed. So he says, don't be alarmed because that's what they always have to say. You learn that in the first day of angel school. <laughs> you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they have put him. Let's slow walk through that. He says, you're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. And here's the deal. There is no serious, despite what the internet will try to tell you, there is no serious historical scholar that denies this. I mean, there's a few, but very few. There's a guy whose name was Jesus He was from Nazareth. In the first century, he was tortured. He was nailed to a cross, hands and feet, spikes through his hands, spikes through his feet, nailed to a wooden cross. He was hung out in a garbage pit that was called the place of the skull, and he was hung there to die, and he died. A rich guy took him, put him into his tomb, gave it to him, rolled a big stone in front of it, sealed that sucker up. There is no historical denying of that, period. It's an undeniable fact. But the part that is the fork in the road is the next bit. He has risen. Christianity loses all of its power if that ain't true. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that if this isn't true, our faith is in vain. He says, if this isn't true, what we say out loud is meant to be lies, so we are liars. This is so crucial that if Jesus is still dead, if he is not alive today, he's just another guy. He's just another guy who claimed to be the Messiah and died like everybody else and stayed dead like everybody else. But Jesus has risen from the dead. And this angel says, if you want to look, look around, go ahead. He says, what? He is not here. See the place where they put him, right? Now at this moment, it'd be easy to come up with alternate facts. I mean, maybe Jesus just found a really big actor And he said, listen, here's the deal. I'm gonna die. I got it all planned. I'm gonna die. They're gonna seal me up. 
What I need you to do is you're big enough. You know, you look like a Navy SEAL. I'm gonna have you move the rock, dress in white, sit on the right side. And when people show up, just tell them, you know, just hide my body or something and just tell them I rose from the dead, right? I mean, this angel guy, unfortunately, had a message that debunks that whole theory. Verse seven, his message was, go tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you, that's Jesus. Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you. Now, this verse has one of my favorite bits in it. And there's a tiny detail I don't want you to miss. The angel says, watch us, go tell his disciples and Peter. Now, for those of you who are familiar with the Jesus thing, who's Peter? He's one of the? <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? Go tell the disciples and Peter. So why does the angel single him out? Well, you remember the last time that Jesus and Peter saw each other? Peter had just said to Jesus, you know, other people may bail on you. I'm not going to. Jesus says, you got less than a day, buddy. In under a day, you're going to deny me, not once, not two times, but three times. And it's exactly what happened. Peter not only denied that he followed Jesus, but by the end in his third denial, he denied that he even knew the man. I wonder if Jesus said to the angel, hey, make sure Peter knows. Just think about how Peter's feeling. It's tender, isn't it? My assumption is that in this room, we have all kinds of worldviews represented. Some of you might be here today because you're humoring somebody who invited you, um, and you're just being not kind, and we're glad you're here. Some of you might be curious about this whole Jesus thing, and you just don't know. Well, regardless of who you are, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, wherever you are on that spectrum, the most important thing you can come face to face with today is this. Is this story a bunch of crap or not? Is this true or is this a lie? Did it happen the way that Mark described it in his gospel or not? Is Jesus dead or is Jesus alive? And here is the women's response. And the last verse of Mark's account, verse eight, they went out and ran from the tomb because trembling and astonishment overwhelmed them. And they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. So wait, so if they were afraid, if they were overwhelmed, if, if they said nothing, what does that mean for us? Remember at the beginning when I referenced that uh, some of you with your Bibles that I can hear pages, um, that your Bibles has more verses than verse eight, right? And I told you that those verses are very important, but not nearly as important as you may think they are. Well, here's what's going on. Um, if you're a Bible person, I got some people with their, Bible, their Bibles in front of you. I want you to help me out here uh, for a second. Um, basically, pull your Bible out and look at it. The, um, after verse eight, there's a little footnote. One of you guys, uh, you can do it. There's a little footnote in your Bible. What does that footnote say after verse eight? The two most reliable. No, wait, wait. Stand, actually, stand up. Nobody can hear you. You're going to have to get close to my face. This is going to be really awkward. Um, uh, all right, all right, just, just read the footnote in your Bible. The, the two most reliable early manuscripts do not have Mark 16, 9 through 20. Thank you. Nearly every single English translation that we have of the Bible has a footnote that says, verse 9, 
to verse 20 do not appear in the earliest manuscripts. What's going on here? Well, I could totally nerd out with you guys, um, but what I'm going to do is high-level nerdiness. So if you need to just color on your coloring sheet for a second, do that. We're going to take a little nerd moment. Um, for the first couple centuries, the, the Bible was passed around in handwritten copies because there was no printing press, right? There was no email, no printing press, so people made hand copies. And they would pass the copy to another person who would make the copy and pass the copy on like that. And so, um, have you ever tried to communicate with a telephone game with anybody? Right? You know how crazy that is, right? You know how when you tell somebody you're going to meet at lunch at a certain place, they end up in a different place, and you only told one person, Right? Well, what we have is we have about 25,000 copies of, of the manuscripts of the Bible with about 6,000 of those in the original language Greek, the other 19,000 in various late early languages, Ethiopic, Coptic, stuff like that. And so what we have is we have all of these, these different manuscripts from the Bible. And what we have found is that there is less than 1% difference in those. That's a miracle, because we can't even agree on where to go to eat and, and remember where we're headed, right? But, but that's because the Holy Spirit helped this, helped make sure that this is all true. And the 1% that is different, we mark it in our Bibles. By the way, Aristotle's famous uh, book called The Poetics, which he wrote like 4th century BC. Do you know how many copies we have of his? We have five. And we have 25,000 copies of the New Testament. Nothing holds a candle to the historic evidence of the Bible. One of the greatest evidences that we have is where there is a discrepancy in the manuscripts, we mark it. You can go through your Bible and you can find footnotes. Anytime that 1% shows up, you're going to see a little footnote and it's going to talk about that. So every one of these 25,000 manuscripts, there's about 5% of them that say that, that, that uh, it stops at eight, but the problem is that 5% were all the earliest ones. What likely happened was some dude in the first century decided to add some stuff. It's not Mark-like. He was way too detailed. And he also, the language is different, and it's like he's trying to make a point and advocate for some theological perspectives. And so for me... The intellectual honesty of Christians about the Bible, putting a footnote right in there, is one of the massive reasons I know that this is not a made-up story. And that's important, because we're talking about eternal life here. We're talking about the meaning of life here. We're talking about the most important thing in the world for you to believe. We have to get this right. So I'm gonna assume that verse nine through 20 while their nice details are not divinely inspired. So let's assume all we got is Mark 16, verse one through eight. What do we do with this? Mark wraps this thing up and says, the women are freaked out, they're silent, they're not talking to anyone. What do we do? Well, we have three other gospel accounts. We have three other gospel accounts that continue to tell the story and the narrative. And we found out these women, they did not stay silent. The other gospel accounts, remember, there's, there's three others, tell us the story of what happened next. The women went and they talked to the disciples and Peter, and they told them what they had heard, and the men, of course, did not believe them. In fact, when the, the men actually saw Jesus, they still didn't believe him. Some of them were like, you're a ghost. Some of them didn't recognize him. 
One of the guys was like, you know what? I'm not gonna believe it's you unless I stick my hand inside of you, which is really so gross, right? And then, but then what happens is over the course of 40 days, not just these women, not just the apostles, not just Peter saw him, but 1 Corinthians tells us over 500 people at one time saw him all together. And again, it was said, 500 people saw him. Go check with the people. Jesus saw them. He talked with them. He, he gave them marching orders. He, he made them breakfast. One of my most tender favorite parts is that Jesus, well, the guy's like, you guys are hungry. Let's have some breakfast. He made them breakfast. Jesus is alive. Is this mass psychosis a carefully orchestrated hoax? There is no shot. It doesn't make sense because all of the disciples with the exception one, John, were killed for believing Jesus rose from the dead. Nobody's gonna go to their death for a lie. John, the one who wasn't killed, was tortured. He was dipped in a bit, big vat of oil um, and still did not recant on the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. No one does that for a lie. Everybody else who was a Messiah in that first century, uh, when they died, they, they stayed dead and the whole thing fizzled out. But these disciples, these women, these 500 people so believed that this was true that they launched this movement. They, they, they went to their deaths for this movement. And within 200 years, Christianity had swept the Roman Empire. And now, 2,000 years later, look at you. You're here. And it's all for good reason. Because It happened. It's true. Jesus physically, bodily rose from the dead. And that's what you and I need to face today. Is it true or is it not true? Did Jesus live a sinless life? Did Jesus die on the cross for your sins and my sin? Did he raise from the dead? If it's true, then Jesus is the only one that can offer you life. Not just life right now, but life for all eternity. Life eternal, but it's gonna mean turning away from whatever worldview is keeping you from Jesus, turning away from whatever in your life is keeping you from him, turning away from whatever sin in your life that you just love more than anything else and turning yourself toward Jesus and following him instead. That's what happened with these women who went to take care of what they thought was gonna be Jesus's dead body. They were told he has risen. And you know what the response was? We've got it in Luke 24, verse 34. Jesus appears to Peter. Peter goes to the disciples. They find out that Jesus has risen, and you know what their response was? He has risen indeed. Because if you know, you know. Would you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We thank you that, that, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We, we believe the truth of this story. This is not just a fairy tale. It's not just an urban legend. It is the greatest rescue story in the history of the universe. And so we thank you that Jesus has come to save us. And we just pray that we would live lives that point other people toward that truth. We pray this all in his precious name. Amen.